0: Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both
1: on and off the mat.
2: Welcome back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 280. We have a great interview with Jared Dopp, uh, this episode, really excited to bring him uh, to you guys, and uh, he's he's really an amazing person. He's a uh, PhD student, elite-level competitor. He's, he's doing what we all try to do sometimes, is juggle busy lives and, and do uh, grappling at the best of our abilities, and he's definitely someone to look up to, so we got that for you as well. Hey, guys, this is Byron coming at you from the audio editing room. I got to get in here early to let you guys in on something uh, before the show actually gets started. Uh, Joe and I are playing a prank on Gary. So before the interview, after the interview is when the prank will be happening. Uh, we're going to be throwing out kind of old TV show titles like uh, Groid Pains, Three's Company, Love Boat, and those sort of things, and seeing how many of them Gary could could catch us on. And uh, just want to let you guys know in advance, you could enjoy it as it goes through, and you're not surprised that we've mentioned, you know, twenty or thirty. TV show titles and they <laughs> didn't notice them, but watch if Gary picks up. It's, you know, it's good. If he doesn't, that's also fun. So uh, he doesn't know any of this is going on, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's get back to the podcast. I'm here with my good buddies, Joe and Gary. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Once again,
1: who are you calling a gentleman?
2: Well, I'm just trying Love. to exchange some pleasantries between you guys here. And I don't know.
3: It must be you, Gary, my good friend. You must be the gentleman. I don't
1: know. You know, when me, me and Byron get on the mat, I don't know how much gentlemanly it is when Byron takes that fist and starts poking into my throat and uh, elbows to the eye socket. I uh, turn into uh, another person.
2: But when there's when there's three of us, three's company, and with Joe and you and me, we're all we're all good friends.
1: Okay, you keep telling yourself that, Byron.
4: <laughs>
2: good times, Gary. Good times. <laughs> Quickly, want to mention that we do have a audio book that's available for you guys, especially those in their first year of training, or if you're thinking about training. Uh, really want to to present this to you and get you the opportunity to avoid some of the challenges that uh, I faced, and I think everybody faces unnecessarily. Uh, the book is called Your First Year of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's eleven ninety nine. There's a link to it in the show notes and it's going to help you from everything from finding the right gym for you all the way to if you want to compete, some advice in, in your tournament. So it's uh, about two and a half hours long, and it's uh, basically – I'm going to sit down with you basically how it works and talk to you about your first year of training and, uh, in audiobook format. So uh, I appreciate all those who have got that in the past, and uh, hopefully it will continue to help people in the future, and that person might be you.
3: You know, one of the things people struggle with initially when they start to do – is there evening classes? You go to class, you you get uh, physically and mentally uh, sort of riled up. You come home, you're you're excited about what you learned. You're trying to brainstorm what to do better next time, and it's hard to sleep. This book will really help you out if you are <laughs> in that situation.
1: <laughs> that- <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs>
3: It, it really. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, guys. It's a multi-use there are, book.
4: <laughs> there are
3: dozens of benefits to this book. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead and pick this up for you if you're in your first year of jiu-jitsu. If you're not and you know somebody else who is, or maybe you've got a friend that you're trying to talk into doing jiu this would be a great gift for them. So, well worth the money. Go ahead and pick up a copy.
1: You are, I want to give a little story here, kind of like what Joe was talking about. And it did put me to sleep, too, when I got it, or when (laughs) my teammate got it. And let me tell you what happened. My teammate was having trouble with his rear naked choke. He basically got this book, this audio book, and he just basically learned to slow down, uh, you know, pay a little bit more attention as a coach. He figured out all the little things that he was doing wrong by slowing down and paying attention as a coach. And when we got on the mat, it actually made he made me go to sleep. So there's two different ways that can put you to sleep the good way and the bad way. And I think I got put to sleep the good way. <laughs> so good job,
2: Byron. I do what I can, I suppose. Didn't, didn't realize that, that had happened, Gary, but, um, I'm proud of those that have listened to it and have, uh, learned from it.
3: So guys, that brings us to our life lesson. Um, and this is typically something that we've learned from our daily experiences, and then we bring it onto the mats. Sometimes we take it the other direction. If you're a regular listener <laughs> to the show, uh, you caught that uh, Byron brought the life lesson last week. And he was talking about going into a uh, toxic environment at work and not the same kind of toxic environment that Gary might go into as a banker. But Byron's, <laughs> firefighter. <laughs> he, he Byron's a firefighter. he keeps his office door open yeah, a lot no, to hey. air it out.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> We actually have uh, dye packs in our money, so uh, you know you can get that into in the air. It can get into your eyes and uh, and get into your throat, so it could be brutal getting swallowed some dye.
3: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that was a great life lesson. Gary's got to keep. Gary's got
2: to keep law and order down there.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to do it, man. Anyway. That was a great lesson that Byron brought, and it it kind of revolved around a piece of equipment that tells him whether or not the atmosphere is safe uh, and whether it's uh, fit to support human life. And one of the things I do in my job as a safety officer for an offshore supply company is I provide ongoing training for the mariners on the boats. And we do working at height training. You know, what do you need to do to keep yourself safe as you're 20, 30 feet up on scaffolding, um, hot work permits. And we do confined space entry and rescue training as well. And we use the same type of devices that Byron was talking about to determine whether or not the atmosphere is safe for human entry. And one of the things we talk about in our training is that 50% 50% of the deaths that are associated with confined spaces are not the original entrance. It's people that go in after uh, an incident has occurred to rescue the first people. You know, if you're, if you're walking by a tank and and you look in the tank and you see somebody that's down on the floor, what's your first reaction, Gary?
1: I'm going to run in there and help them out.
3: Exactly. That's, that's pretty much everybody's first reaction. Uh, one of the, uh, Uh, examples that we use in the training course that I offer, there was a ship that had a sewage pipe that ran through a ballast water tank. So when you went into the tank, you'll see a a couple of pipes will go through. You'll see a fuel pipe was going through, a freshwater pipe's going through. Somehow you've got to get product or waste material from one end of the boat to the other. So there's a sewage pipe that runs through this tank, and there's a coupling in there that they can open. And they had um, plugged up toilets, so they – they emptied the ballast tank, and they uh, used the uh, O2 sensor to determine the conditions in the tank were safe for entry. And they put somebody in there to open this coupling and put a snake in the tank to see where the obstruction might be in the sewage line. Once the guy opened the coupling, um, sewage produces H2S gas, which is deadly. And the H2S gas filled the tank that the guy was in, and he died. So after about an hour, his supervisor thought, man, I haven't heard from this guy. He was supposed to uh, put a snake in the, in the lines and, and come and tell me if he found the obstruction. So the supervisor goes to find the guy and sees him down in the tank and rushes in after him, and he dies as well. An hour or so later, the captain of the boat says, you know, we haven't heard nothing from the engine department in a long time. They're never this quiet. So he gets a member of his deck department, and he says, go find these guys and see what's going on. So the guy goes down, he starts walking through the ship and looking for these guys. He finds an open tank cover and he looks in and he sees two guys on the floor. So he rushes in after them and he dies as well. So now we have yeah. three three dead people. Uh, the fourth guy, finally a fourth guy went and saw them and it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Something's wrong. I need to get a self-contained breathing apparatus. I need to follow procedures. Finally, somebody decided to follow procedures. You got a self-contained breathing apparatus, went in there, was able to drag the three guys out, but they had already died. Um. So how this relates to Jitsu? Not to be too morbid, I guess this is a
2: morbid. <laughs> Bringing us down, Joe. <laughs> this is brutal, rated R. Didn't this realize is a, how morbid this was. Usually, when I got usually, going. Joe, your story is more love boat like than uh, than than scary boat.
3: Anyway, how this relates to jiu-jitsu, like Gary said, if, if he's walking by a tank and, and he sees somebody down in the bottom of the tank, his first reaction is to rush in and get them. And oftentimes that's the wrong reaction. And in jiu-jitsu, oftentimes while we're rolling, our first reaction is not the right one. We haven't weighed all the uh, – we, we haven't looked at, at all the possibilities or – You know, everything that's involved and an example is I caught a friend of mine, a white belt in an Ezekiel choke the other night. I was top half guard and, uh, you know, I set everything up and then let him get the underhook, caught him in the Ezekiel choke and uh, he tapped. And then we rolled for the rest of the round. And then after the round, he's a little bit frustrated. And he says, well, so much for the underhook being the key to everything. And I said, it really is. If, if you get it right, you set it up right. But I said, when a more experienced grappler, when you're rolling with a more experienced grappler and something seems to be too easy, it's probably a trap. So the, the whole lesson here is that, that oftentimes your first reaction can be can just lead you into trouble. When, when your coach, when you're rolling with your coach and it's like, I've got this opportunity to pass the guard. If it's too good to be true, it probably is.
2: Yeah, the, I mean, with jiu-jitsu, that's like the facts of life. It's not an intuitive thing, necessarily. Like, like Gary yeah, would rush in there and try to save them, and that's his instinct. If if you could, I don't know how experienced each individual listener is, but think back to when you started. It's hard and it's confusing because it's not intuitive. And, and that's why we have to learn it. You know, like, it, it sounds so oversimplified, but if this was intuitive, you could... Train by yourself. You wouldn't need a coach. You uh, you could just train harder. But we we do need to learn these techniques that don't necessarily make sense to us, or we wouldn't have necessarily thought of on our own. That's why it's so important to have have quality coaching. And it, like with your like with your buddy who was like, well, it, the uh, underhook didn't work. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. does work. It's sh- like nothing works all the time. And, and when the, the skill discrepancy or the, there's some other discrepancy categories, if they're off too much, it's not going to work real well. You might still get it work. Maybe he's not going to be a, a half guard person. <laughs> but, but you know, I like what you're saying, Byron, about,
1: you know, your coach, you know, pay attention to your coach. You're going to learn these things. It's not intuitive, um, you know, but it's, it's not going to, you know, the underhook is not going to work. Every single time. And, you know, I go back to me and Byron rolling a lot of times and, and Byron knows I'm a big underhook person. You know, if I'm on the bottom, I, I love the underhook. But Byron, uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Josh Hinger, Byron really uh, caught on to Josh Hinger's Hinger Teen. Um, check out Byron's uh, review of the Hinger teen DVD on our uh, BJJ Break YouTube page definitely check it out. It's awesome. It's it's great. But Byron really got into the hingertine, and Byron would just basically give me the underhook kind of like what uh, uh, Joe, you were doing with your partner the other day when you uh, ezekiel him. And uh, I would, Byron was giving me the underhook much easier than than I would get it before and I'd be like, oh cool, nice easy sweep and next thing I you know I'm gurgling uh, like you want to believe. Uh, Byron would lock that hingertine on, on and, and I was going to sleep. And You know, it's just like it was too easy. I thought it was there. I thought, you know, I'm heading down a path. But what I really liked about it is then I went home and I slowed down again. You know, I just didn't rush into the tank. You know, I slowed down again. I revisited everything in my head. I was like, okay, Byron's letting me get this underhook. He's then trapping my arm, trapping my my head, uh, pinching my head down and turning his fingers up into my – or turning his knuckles up into my throat. And I'm, I'm choking. So what I had to do is figure out because my underhook is my preferred way of getting up off the bottom. So then I had to figure out as soon as I come up with the underhook, I have to scoop my body around a little bit to make the angle a little bit different. And then so I tried that and I saw, hey, it, it works a little bit. Uh, Byron can jump right into the, the hinger team. But that's what I love about jujitsu is all of a sudden something's working great for me. Byron learns a way to stop that and put me to sleep, and then I got to go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to stop that. And I guarantee you, Byron's going to come back to the drawing board and change his angle a little bit and put me back to sleep. And it's just a, it's a big process of everybody trying to outsmart each other. But as Joe says, we can't just go rushing in there. Like everything's too good to, you know, it's too good to be true. If we just rush in there without you know, our brain working and assessing that situation, uh, we could put ourselves in some big trouble.
3: Yeah. You we, know what the best thing about jujitsu is Gary? Uh,
1: the shirts, the rash guards.
3: <laughs> no, <laughs> un- unlike, unlike rushing into a confined space, you get a second chance. <laughs>
1: hey, that You know, that that's perfect. And Joe, when you sure. were telling your story, it made me think of a story that I had. And, uh, Byron and I, we train with a lot of police officers And, and I work, as you guys know, in a bank there and I don't work in the retail side, so I don't work in a branch. So basically I, I don't really do all the robbery training and everything that everybody else does. I mean, we touch on it a little bit, but I hate to say it. I never really pay much attention to it. You know, I'm, I'm office, you know, I'm floors above uh, a retail area, you know, literally do it. He's above Literally. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not that way,
2: Byron. I mean, I'm, I'm I know a
1: couple of floors above where they, you know, do retail space. But, but so, um, uh, one day I'm sitting there in my office, and I get a phone call, on my cell number on my cell phone, and I look down, and it's uh, it's one of Byron and I's buddy. who's a cop, and you know, so I figured maybe he was going to cancel training, or or maybe he wanted to get a loan or something. I don't know. So I pick up the phone and he's like, Gary, I was like, yeah. He's like, it's Bob. And I was like, okay, cool. What's going on? And He's (laughs) like, you guys got a silent alarm going on down at your, your branch. Is everything okay? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, there's a silent alarm. You guys having a robbery? And my instincts just kicked in. I ran out of my office as fast as I could
2: to the, I had my
1: phone. I, I had my phone to my ear. I basically jumped down two flights of stairs. I mean, each, I just jumped, flew down about right when I was about ready to get to the bottom floor. I started thinking, you know, like my head said, what am I going to do? But it still didn't stop me. I opened up the door that goes to the the retail branch and I still have to go a little bit farther and turn a left till I can get to where the teller lines are. And the only thing that popped into my head is I'm going to charge straight for the guy. And I'm going to change levels and double leg takedown. That's exactly what popped into my head. So I come flying around the corner as fast as I could still had no clue, no plan. Don't even know what I was ever trained to do. Everything just flew out the window. And like Joe was talking about, I just ran right into trouble. Well, it actually wasn't trouble, but it could have been trouble. I come around the corner and the only person at the teller line is two older ladies. So I run up there and, uh, uh, at this point, I was a little relieved because I was like, I don't think they're robbing it. You're
3: going to take them. Yeah. Oh, we, I think I
2: come,
1: take them,
3: come on, Gary. We know you double ate the heck out of that little <laughs> old lady. <laughs> so, uh, Gary, I got to ask you, did you feel like you were uh, on a Starsky and Hutch? Uh, you know, episode, my adrenaline
1: or? was flying so much. You know, I just I, I guess I have that that instinct that I want to protect my friends, my teammates, you know, I consider work just like jujitsu. These guys are my teammates and, uh, you know, I, I want to be in the middle of it. I don't want any of my teammates to go, but it also made me realize like, as soon as that was done and I realized everything that was wrong, that I went to a real retail manager and I'm still fired up at this time, you know, my adrenaline's flying. And I was like, I need training. I need to know what to do. I did everything wrong. But, you know, I, I look back at it, that it was actually, I'm glad it happened with, uh, not with a false alarm because I, you know, for me, I thought it was real, you know, my adrenaline was pumping, but it made me stop and realize I got to listen to my coach. I've got to learn what my coach tells me to do because I could have put more people in danger. More people could have maybe died because of stupid mistakes I did. And, um, you know, it just made me realize I need to sit back, I need to learn, and I need to keep learning, learn, 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 learn over and over again, and, and and drill it, and you know, get it into my mind.
2: Yeah, Gary ran well, down there like Walker, Texas Ranger, ready to kick some butt. Yeah. Problem Chalk is, that up. if I would
1: have tried to kick him, I probably would have tore my hamstring.
3: Chuck that up to growing pains, man. <laughs> no,
1: we yeah, all, you gotta learn.
3: I'll yeah. learn, and-
1: but I'm glad it happened in that situation. I really am glad it happened because if it was a a real robber there, it could have ended up terrible. But I think now I'm very well prepared, a lot more prepared, not very well prepared, but I'm going to strive to be very well prepared. I, you know, and I, and I've now started doing that with my staff too. Um, Personally, I don't think any of them would go down there. They're not as stupid as I am, but um, yeah, kind of crazy.
2: Yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> I would have been, it's, it's the scary. Guy... You got to remember when you, when you hear that, it's the real world, man. Like yeah. bad things can happen really fast. I, I mean,
1: it happens to a lot of good people. Look at those three people that Joe was on the boat with. Those were three smart people. They cared so much for their other person. And I would have been one of those guys. I, I tell you, if I was in Joe's boat, I would have been one of those guys that uh, that perished.
3: Well, and thank thank uh, goodness, thank goodness, Gary. I was not actually on that boat. Uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> but
1: yeah. you know what I mean. There's, I can see that those people, you know, they react to, you know, to save the day, versus, you know, thinking, you know, I like what you said. The last guy, like, oh, I need to do what I'm supposed to do. I need to put on. I think you called it a self-contained ventilation, breathing system or something. I need For to do that. Yeah. I need to do that before I go in. And, uh, you know, that wasn't me. That wasn't the, the two guys who, the first two guys that came to save him. We're just like, man, I'm going to go in there with everything I got and save that guy. Cause he's my buddy. Instead of taking one second and playing everything over in my head. This is what I learned. I need to, uh, need to do this to make sure I'm safe. And then maybe I can go in and save those three. Yeah. people.
2: It's same. So something about both these things, uh, like an alarm system. Uh, like if if they had a bell in there with the with the, when the when the air was was toxic, they could have been saved by the bell. Um, if if hey, that's a good TV show. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, it really. Like, and and the the one that was sent out to the police was a silent alarm.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. But you know, we can't always go by the bell because let's think <laughs> about your story for last week. That it didn't work properly. It didn't
2: work. The bell didn't you know, work.
1: So that's why I think we need that training to, even if the bell's not working or the silent alarm or the whatever you had there, Byron, that isn't working, we need to then just think, oh, man, you know, are we okay? Let's maybe our hopefully our training will, will, we won't rush into it. It will be like, okay, what have I learned during training? What do I need to do? Let's take an extra second. And make sure we're on the right path. Is is that one second of me running in there going to be life or death? Or if I take an extra second, is that going to matter? Because maybe now I'm on the right path to try to save everybody.
2: Yeah, good, yeah. good uh, so, life lesson, Joe. Joe, I yeah. love that one. That's great.
1: Yeah, that
3: that, that is good. And uh, I guess you know we we try and inch forward in our jujitsu uh, journey or. Hope sometimes to get that quantum leap where you just, you know, things just all kind of click and, and you move forward rapidly. But uh, anyway, that's my uh, contribution to the show today.
1: Yep, Joe, I was going to do do a quantum leap, quantum leap takedown uh, to the robbers. <laughs> if they happen to be there.
3: <laughs> yes, sir.
1: Problem is, it would have been like skeet shooting for them. <laughs>
4: Yeah. we've
2: got a uh, just to spin this city around here we've got a um, quote of the week here and uh, it's by Stephen Covey be patient with yourself self growth is tender it's holy ground there's no greater investment I just the, the first part of this be patient with yourself I think that's something that we all could could have more of if you, if you ever have, you know, gone to, to train and, and it didn't go so well, you get you know, you're driving home or you're on the train or however you get home and you're frustrated with, with the progress of your jiu-jitsu, be patient with yourself. It's, uh, it's worth the investment. And I think that just that patience with yourself could allow you some time to get much better. But it's it also, that frustration is not a feeling you could feel every day when you leap jiu jitsu and keep going in the long run. You've gotta you've gotta be patient with yourself. If you have a rough day, a rough tournament, a rough month or two or whatever, be patient. The mats are still there. You still have time to learn and get better.
3: You know I I like this quote, Byron, and this is one that I think kind of illustrates how the on the mat, off the mat lessons kind of go back and forth because this is a great thing to strive to learn in jiu jitsu to be patient with yourself. But it's also one of those things that jujitsu jitsu just kind of teaches you naturally. I mean, if you stick with jiu jitsu long enough, you're going to be eventually taught this lesson. It's just part of the training, it's part of progression and um cuz it's very true off the mat as well as you go through your parenting your kids, go through advancing throughout your career it's never going to happen really as fast as you want it to. And you're going to have to be patient and you're going to have to invest in your own progress. And, uh, I think jujitsu does a great job of helping you learn that lesson.
1: You know what? I like what you said there, Joe, is you're talking about, you know, how much we learn from jujitsu and, and I just started thinking is, you know, we've all went to high school and and we all were going to school and we were learning stuff from our teachers at points. And, you know, we start a new job. We learn a little bit there. And most people we're a regular person who doesn't train jujitsu or or do something else. You're learning kind of stops, not necessarily it stops; You're still going. But it's almost like you don't have a teacher, um, you know, a classroom. And it just made me think about jujitsu because you were talking about if you do jujitsu, you're going to learn patience. And I I can say I got out of school and I don't think I was the most patient person. And, you know, I picked up jujitsu at 35 years old and I've been doing it for a while now. But it's almost like I went back to school. This is what made me think about it. The way you explained it, Joe, I've went back to school and I've learned so much in my life since I'm 35 on and the majority of that is attributed to jiu-jitsu you know i have a jiu-jitsu teacher i have, and all my teammates are teachers also we learn stuff on the mat there's no lying on the mat you know and when i say I'm lying i don't mean lying down on the mat you're, you know everything's going to expose itself but you know one thing that jiu-jitsu has taught me is, is like what you're saying there is patience i've it's something i've gotten so much better at because if if you don't have that jujitsu, jitsu you're not going to last very long in it and um it's just kind of neat thinking about it that I'm going to school. Next time somebody asks me, you know, hey, you look like you're so old, you're probably out of school. I'd be like, no, I'm in school. I'm going to tell everybody I'm in school. And they're going to be like, hey, what are you? What kind of school are you at? Some kind of special school? I'll be like, no, it's jujitsu. jitsu You want to come? But, uh, yeah, jiu is <laughs> awesome. I'm still learning today.
2: Yep. Gary, Gary, Gary will even pick you up and take you there in his the magic school bus and deliver you and, and get you all your learning.
1: Yeah. And, you know, another thing that goes by this is, Joe, I don't remember what it was, but I sent Joe a text here. He put you, he put up a uh, post, I think it was on maybe our Facebook page or maybe it was on his own page, but it, it was something about, you know, sometimes we think we have a bad training day or, or we just, you know, we don't have everything in there and, and you know, I was having a day that I didn't think I had time to train and, and to train or to go to school as I'm going to call it. I didn't have time to, I didn't think I had time to do that. And I read Joe's post and I may not have had an hour and a half to go like, and really I didn't feel all that great where I could put a, you know, a monster effort into it. But I ended up working out and I probably went 30 to 45 minutes, um, you know, less than my normal time. But, man, I felt so much better afterwards. And, you know, as the workout started going, you know, everything changed in my body. And I just started feeling, you know, like I had a ton of energy, which I didn't have before. And it was just that little post by Joe, you know, and it's, it's something that got me out there. And, you know, it's, I don't know, jujitsu is awesome. You know, it, I'm learning, it teaches me, it, it just makes me a better person. And Man, I know I'm I'm just I just now could. rambled and went way <laughs> off topic, but it made me think about that too.
3: I'm glad I could help. You know, yeah. you pay, you pay me have compliments every now and then it makes me feel like king of the hill. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, we all need that support sometimes. And, and you never know where it's going to come from. I love that uh, video, by the way, I shared it on Facebook of uh, uh, Jake's wife doing the kettle barrels Yeah, and that like Nine or twelve year old girl behind her, or doing along with her. Yeah. I mean, you just never know. As, as a grown up or, or or older teen, when you're training, you just never know who you might be inspiring. And I thought that was awesome.
2: Yep that that was a has a good one to share, Joe. He is the most interesting grappler in the world.
3: Working with a group of scientists, I attempted to train a group of leeches. Train cauliflower ear. This project ultimately failed because all things I trained ended up giving cauliflower ear, not taking it away. As a teenager, I got fired from my pizza delivery job because I kept offering free pizzas if you could tap me out. Nobody ever tapped me out, but I got many complaints about not following IBJJF rules had to get congressional approval before entering a tournament i don't always
0: listen to podcasts but when i do i prefer the bjj brick podcast stay sweaty my friends
2: all right my friends i'm happy to bring jared dopp back to the bjj brick podcast jared it's been a couple of years we we had you on the show uh let's see i guess a few years april 2015 uh jared welcome back to the podcast
0: Hey Byron, thanks for having me, man.
2: Yeah, I'm excited, and, and uh, I learned a lot from you last time, and and I, I just I guess I didn't realize how much time had passed <laughs> uh, since we've had you on last. So uh, really happy to to get you back on the show. Um, if somebody hasn't heard of you, or maybe they hadn't heard the last podcast, or been following you on social media, tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you do, and and uh, a little bit about your grappling too.
0: Yeah, so I am a PhD student in chemical engineering at Iowa State University. Um, you know, throughout much of my college career, I've been involved in sports and uh, mostly Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, obviously. I've been, uh, I don't know what to say if I've been lucky enough, but I've had the opportunity to compete at very high levels. Uh, won some world championships before I was a black belt, uh, and then was able to get second. At Nogi Worlds a couple years ago, and I've been to three ADCCs. I got fourth at two of them, got second at another. Uh, Again, you know, almost all while doing school. Uh, And right now I'm just trying to find the best way to balance the, uh, you know, my my career pursuits and my kind of jujitsu hobby. Find the best way to meld them together.
2: How long have you been training?
0: Oh, so that's a great question. Uh, it's it's not an easy answer.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> which, which, I, I ask because uh, the first ADCC you went to, uh, I, I, correct me if, you, if I'm wrong, you are a Purple Belt. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that was in 2013. Okay.
2: That's amazing right there. <laughs> so, yeah, how long have you been training?
0: Uh, okay, well, I started jiu-jitsu well, – Well, let's say I I took my first class, let's say, oh man, I want to say it was in like 2015, right? So, uh, no, sorry, 2005, 2005, (laughs) 10 year difference there. Uh, So, that's, I was in high school and I only was ever able to do jujitsu over the summer uh, and I did it once or twice a week. So, if you think about there only being like two or three months in the summer and you go once or twice a week for one or two hours, it takes a long time for that to add up. So, I, you know, I did that a, a little bit and then, uh, i was just involved in sports during high school and those always took precedence over jiu-jitsu you know because i was trying to you know, get into college i wanted to play college football uh all of that uh so i guess you could say you know i, I really started back in 2005 so i had an idea of what jiu-jitsu was a long time ago uh, but i took you know like two definitely like a two- year break where i didn't do any martial arts whatsoever um and eventually came back in 2011 kind of doing the same thing you know twi- twice a week two or three times a week just because that's what we offered uh gosh I, I so definitely i've been familiar with it for like 13 years but i would say in the beginning there it's it's kind of hard to count that towards the total uh since if you looked at like if you looked at the hours that I've put in versus the hours other people put in, uh, <laughs> it, it would be it would almost be embarrassing for me. I'd be like, "Oh, hey, I've got like half or a third of the hours that everybody else puts in."
2: And that's because uh, kind of uh, the the start of it, you know. For if you look at the year, you started in summers, <laughs> and and not even every day, so you, you weren't like super. You just, you know, as a as a high school student, you found it, and it was probably something that you liked, and you did it when you could. Is that is that accurate?
0: Yeah, pretty much. And that first year, that first summer, maybe a little bit of the second summer, we really didn't even do any gi. It was just a t shirt and shorts. And it was originally taught to help our local law enforcement uh, better defend themselves and better apprehend people without actually hurting them. And it, it was it's odd. We had like every all of the cops. Uh, that were coming to it were all like 185 and above, and so uh, my cousin works in the Bureau of Indian Affairs. He was the one teaching it. He was like, "Hey, we have all these big guys. If you want to jump in and help out, like we need the bodies. Uh, <laughs> we, we, you know, we'll do it for free. Just uh, and you'll learn something." So that's kind of what uh, got me into it.
2: That's cool, and uh, <laughs> that being. Um in, in like a high school time and, in and, and no gi and, and working with those officers, um, what was that, the training room like compared to just like a typical no gi class? Were they doing like how to handcuff people or, you know, how to retain their guns or was it basically you were rolling with them?
0: No, it was basically just rolling. Okay. Yeah. You know, pretty, pretty simple. Everybody was pretty relaxed. Nobody wanted to get injured. Nobody was crazy. Uh, it, it was a good. It was actually a good experience.
2: You mentioned that you wanted to play football in high in college. Did you do that?
0: I did. Uh, I I wound up going to a junior college first, and uh, kind of screwed kind of screwed that up. But I wound up quitting, and then uh, took a year half off, and then walked on at a Division two down in Texas. Uh, did that for about two years, but. You know, In hindsight, if I wouldn't have quit that first time, I wouldn't have had to walk on somewhere and uh, have to deal with what a walk-on has to deal with. Typically, if you go to a junior college and you get any semblance of playtime whatsoever, you'll get to go somewhere and be kind of treated pretty nice and get a scholarship. Eventually, because of all that, I wound up actually like paying to play football, which is kind of a bummer, but I still got to experience it.
2: Yeah. is that Was that your main sport before – you started taking Jitsu more seriously or did you wrestle or?
0: That was my main sport. I didn't so I didn't specialize necessarily. I I tried a lot of sports growing up and I definitely found sports that I was not good at. So basketball and baseball I absolutely cannot do. I, I mean I might be able to now, but when I was trying them out, I was extremely uncoordinated. And those two sports require a lot of hand eye coordination and um uh, Things like football, uh, you have to have a little bit of coordination, but it's really all about hitting somebody, moving somebody, running away or towards somebody. You know, um, so I, I really focused on football. I'd been playing that. I played that for 13 years overall. But uh, you know, another sport that was not too tough for me was just track and field. Um, that doesn't require too much coordination unless you're a thrower. And then in high school. I got to do powerlifting, so I eventually narrowed it down to those three.
2: Do you think that the having the variety of those was a big benefit, or did one of them really help you more than the others in in uh, using athleticism on the mats?
0: I honestly think all three were uh, were a big part of it. Right, so I you know football was definitely the the main one. That's the one that if I knew I was going to go and play at the collegiate level it it had to be that one but track and powerlifting were both very supplemental to that i mean you know as a football player you always want to be faster you always want to be stronger and it was kind of like okay well what you know why not do both of them not to mention the fact that the football coach was the track coach and the powerlifting coach so i really didn't have much of an option (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i mean um But that was the thing. And we also had a, it was a really small school. So if you found someone who was an athlete in that school, chances are they played uh, at least three sports.
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That makes sense.
0: Oh, I I was going to say, yeah, I I absolutely think that like all, you know, all three absolutely played a role. Obviously, football had the bigger influence because I did it for so much longer. But uh, all three, because, you know, football is a team sport, right? And you have, your job that you have to do and but you're just one of 11 you know and if anything in that machine i'll I'll refer to it as me if anything in that machine breaks down it can cause uh basically a play to go wrong but in track and powerlifting i don't want to say they're similar to something like wrestling uh but they are they're one-on-one basically unless you're doing a relay and even then that you know, you're you're still kinda one-on-one. So that's I, I was always way more nervous in track and powerlifting than I ever was in football. Uh just because I knew I was like, okay, if I if I mess up, if I lose, it's because of me, it's because I'm not fast enough, because I'm not strong enough to lift the weight or something like that. And so I think those are very good for dealing with the individual pressure and the nerves that come from an individual sport. And then football is good for just, you know, a whole different set of things.
2: Are the nerves still there? I mean, so it's the, the stages are bigger now, but I'd imagine uh, like maybe you handled the nerves differently or something like that. Uh, who was more nervous? The young Jared Dopp doing a, 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 a track and field thing or something like that or or the, the current Jared Dopp uh, on a big stage grappling a very tough opponent? Like before the match, if you had to like, I don't know, scale of one to ten of who uh, who's nervous. Are you still do you still feel those same nerves or do you handle them differently?
0: I think I handle them differently now just because I've I've had the experience that I've had. Uh I, I have there are very few times in my life that I have been as nervous as I was before running a four hundred meter dash. And I do not know why. Huh. I think I, I mean I think it was always because I I always knew that uh, I could do pretty well, but then as soon as I got kind of at the top, I would lose. I just wasn't fast enough uh, in the 400 to do it, but I, it, that would that would bug me a little bit, and I would start to feel weird in the stomach, and I'd just be like, gosh, can we just get this over with? Can we just get this over with? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in jiu-jitsu, you know, I've obviously lived through all that, um, and I've competed at, at the top, and I know that – or at least in Nogi anyways – and I know that I can compete. I know that I do belong there, and so that's – that makes it easier for me to get over the nerves. Uh,
2: so is, it seems like to me, and I'm not definitely not uh, a track athlete, but the 400 is a particularly painful event. Like it's just all out. It's it's too far to go all out. <clears throat> it feels like to me anyway. Did did that affect your nervousness, or was it just the ability? To <clears throat>? Sorry, my voice messed up. Or was it just the ability to not perform where you had wanted to perform?
0: Uh, it was just that nervousness of okay. like, oh my gosh, am I? Yeah, it, 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 being afraid that I'm not going to perform the way I want to, you know, because it's not like I hadn't ran it a million times. Uh, I, by, in no, by no means was I like an amazing 400, athlete. <laughs> yeah. and I knew that, especially when I saw at uh, state just how you know some people were running uh, low, you know, low 50s, high 40s, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am not going to be able to win this, but I'm going to. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try Just don't look stupid. Don't get smoked. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that makes it pretty rough, <laughs> but it is. So that's what makes the 400 terrible is that it actually is an all out sprint and you have to train yourself to be able to, to do a 100% uh, the whole time. But you also have to, um, you also have to pace yourself with certain parts of the track. So like you start off going around the curve and you're sprinting really hard, your strides are shorter, and then on that back straight one hundred, you actually have to try to maintain your speed, but you stride out more. And then on the curve coming back again, shorten your stride, really quick steps, and then the last the last one hundred is just who just who's mentally tougher, honestly. Like if two guys are coming off of that back curve and they're tied in that last one hundred, it's it's it comes down to who Really wants it more,
2: and we see that sometimes, like at the towards the end of a match, uh, it seems like you're able to push a little bit better than than most of the competitors out there.
0: Yeah, and I honestly, I think that's kind of where it's from.
2: <laughs> okay, do, do, like comparing the athleticism uh, you you got, you found or you earned in, in your younger days. How did that, like, when you showed up onto the like the the more elite jiu-jitsu scene, did did a lot of those athletes have similar athleticism or did you feel like that was a, a category that you uh, had had in your favor?
0: I felt like that's something that I've had in my favor and I, you know, I still kind of feel that way a little bit just okay. because I've had, I had that background, you know, I started doing sports when I was uh, seven years old, I'm 29 now, and I never really stopped and the sports that I did always required uh, a lot of lateral movement, not just going forward and backwards. And that translates really well to how you have to move in jiu-jitsu, especially if you're uh, working takedowns or working passing. It's a little different if you're playing guard. But I think a lot of people didn't have that background. They haven't done all the lateral movement drills that I've done. They haven't been in the weight room as much as I have. And for me, all I really have to do is kind of try to maintain that since i built up that base when i was younger and a lot of the guys who i face and and some of that i face now have to kind of start from zero if they didn't have a similar background now there there are some people that i've competed against that definitely have some uh, raw athletic gifts um, but i just i don't think they've had the same amount of time to refine those as
2: i have yeah, that's 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 very interesting. And you also have uh like world class training as well on the mats. So that's a great uh combination.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean I um I, I got lucky and was able to experience training in, in Oklahoma City with Ralph Lovato Jr. and that i I mean, yeah. The athleticism plus that definitely uh definitely a good background.
2: So you mentioned you're now uh Uh, PhD student, you're not in Oklahoma anymore. Uh, So how do you do that? How are you going and accomplishing one of the most difficult things a student can do and managing to stay on the mats and and, uh, compete?
0: Man, that's the question of the day. (laughs) Um, So it's really tough. It really is. But one of the things that I learned, so I told you that I had quit playing football Uh, when I was a freshman in college 11 years ago Uh, and what I found out is if I'm not active in a sport my grades will slip and that basically uh, basically from that I've learned that I have to continue to be active not just going to the gym and lifting weights for no reason I have to have some type of competition I, I need to feel like I'm a student athlete still I think and for me it's kind of like it, when you know that about yourself you don't have a choice you have to find a way to balance or you're gonna obviously your your attention span is gonna slip your grades are gonna slip and it, it's gonna be it it would negatively affect my uh, education so i've i have been trying to figure out you know what the best way to do it and i still struggle with that you know this is i'm in my third year of graduate study and it, it it's still tough to do don't get me wrong but uh i now it, in case you don't know I'm, I'm no longer part of the lovato or hibiro i'm part of alliance okay and we have a small alliance affiliate here uh vladimir williams he learned under jock ray back in atlanta and he relocated to ames iowa for uh you know for work and it, he's been in jiu-jitsu for a long time. He wrestled growing up, he did judo. Uh, he hasn't competed in a while. Uh but that's just because of, you know, like age and injuries. And so, you know, we don't we don't have a ton of people here to train with, but they typically come and they're down to train. You know, we got a lot of white belts, uh, you know, some few blue belts, a couple purple, one brown and Everybody, uh, you know, kind of has their own life, and so they, you know, they have problems getting in there also. But with the training being in the same town, it only takes me, you know, ten or fifteen minutes to get there, which is not, it's not bad. I know some people, and, and I used to have to as well drive, you know, thirty to forty-five minutes to go train. But the big thing about uh, graduate school, so part of what makes it hard is that you do have to take some pretty tough classes. But that's in the beginning. And that was that was really hard for me. I actually didn't take those classes very seriously and didn't get as much out of them as I should. But you also have to do research as if you are – I don't want to say it's like a nine-to-five because you make your own hours based on what you think is going to help you be most successful. Okay. Uh, but it is—it basically is a job, you know. If, if you're doing—if you're in graduate school in STEM, then you will—you'll—you'll you'll take your classes that are required for your discipline, and you will do research, trying to further—further further knowledge in, on some project. You know, typically try to do something that, that no one else has ever done. Um, it's a little easier to get a master's, but then. Uh, but then, for your PhD, that is absolutely you have to do something original, something novel, and it can take a lot of time. I definitely have days where I'm at the where I'm in the lab for let's say uh, you know 10 hours. It's not uncommon for a lot of other students to put in like a 60 hour week, and I am I'm 100% against that, partially because. Uh, I think that sucks and that I wouldn't be able to make it to the gym. I wouldn't be able to make it to jiu-jitsu. But also there's a really high incidence of uh, depression and suicide among graduate students. And I think it's because they really feel the pressure from their uh, their advisor, their advisor basically being their boss, to be productive, to put out papers, and to uh, come up with results all the time just because of the nature of – uh, graduate school and funding and science in general. and they don't they don't really plan out these other things they need to, that they need to do. Maybe they've never done it before, maybe they don't really know uh, that they need to plan out, you know going to the gym or whatever. but I think what uh, has helped me with it is when I came in, I said, no, I'm going to continue to do this, and if I can't be competitive anymore, that's okay. I'm still going to make the time to go compete. So, uh, the way I balance it is just that I know it's like, all right, if I need to go to jujitsu at least twice a week, but I'm going to try to make it more. And I also need to sneak away to the gym during the day, you know, at least a few times a week. And if my productivity suffers a little bit, then I'll just have to, you know, take a scolding from my advisor and just kind of go on with it,
2: you know? Yeah. It's, it sounds like, um, a similar situation for me. Uh, w- when I can go to jujitsu, I do that, but there's really not an excuse that I could make that I couldn't work out in a certain day because like the gym or a lot of times I'll just go, go run with my dog like that. I could do that anytime I can get up earlier. I could stay up a little later, but jujitsu is a certain times. <clears throat> and if they don't match up with my schedule, it's hard to make those happen. But there's there's always room for some kind of fitness. You just if it doesn't need to have a class with a bunch of other skilled athletes in there, like going to the gym and lifting weights, uh, it's a little easier to just make that happen. I think.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think that's where a lot of people uh, get mistaken. You know, and when I was in Oklahoma City, some people were like, "Well, you know, why don't you why don't you just go to the gym less often?" And I said, "Well, you know, jujitsu is only taught at these times, and so I can plan." I can plan my day out so that I'm free at those times. But if I'm free for an hour, let's say at, at noon, well, I I don't have jujitsu classes at noon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, okay, what else could I be doing right now? Well, I could be going to the gym and correcting all the, uh, functional issues that you get by doing jujitsu all the time, you know, or getting stronger or running or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how I do it. I actually have a Google Calendar, and I have in there, and it's you know it's not like it changes; it's the same all the time. I have in there when the evening jujitsu classes are, because those you know those are the ones that I'm going to go to. I, I prefer to work during the day and jujitsu at the evening, and I always try to make sure I always look at that. And I, if I'm scheduling anything, I try to make sure that those are always open. And you know, every now and then I do have to work late, and I can't quite make it, but. Uh, you know, everything else is just kind of falling in between. Yeah. If if I have, if I have extra time, I run off to the gym to, to work out.
2: So when you're at work, you're in the lab, what if you could dumb it down? (laughs) Uh, What are you, what are you working on? What are you studying? What are you learning?
0: Okay. Uh, so, okay. Let me disclaimer. Uh, what I do for research right now is absolutely not what I came to graduate school to do. so if i <laughs> if I have a hard time making it sound exciting, that's why. okay uh, so when when I'm in a lab, so right? I mean, I'm in chemical engineering, and the interesting thing about chemical engineering is that we're very uh, we can do a lot of things just by the nature of our education, right? And so a, a typical chemical engineer, you can think of them as taking something uh, that's not worth a lot, doing something to it, and making it worth a lot, basically. And that usually comes in the form of, you know, if you have a, a, a chemist or, or someone who's working on uh, a benchtop, basically doing these really small scale experiments, they come up with something really cool, this process to make some valuable uh, product. The chemical engineer, is the person who has some level of understanding of that, but what they typically do is they take those small-scale processes and they figure out the best way to um, do large-scale, so that you can um, you can make a profit off of it. And uh, they, you know, as chemical engineers have to have some idea of uh, materials for construction, uh, pilot plants, economics, all kinds of stuff like that, right? And for research, what we typically do is we go back down, we go back down to the small scale, but we always try to keep uh, s- scaling up in mind. So that's uh, there's always that thought in, in what we're doing. But for me in particular, I actually work with um, kind of I work with microorganisms, specifically E. coli. Okay. Uh, not the kind that wants to kill you. Um. So so I work with E. coli that's non-pathogenic. So that means it's it's not going to try to infect you. It's not going to try to kill you. Um. E. coli is basically used a lot in laboratory setting because they're kind of a, they're basically like a workhorse. You can make a lot of them really fast, and you can manipulate them so that they'll make something that you want. They'll make something valuable. So you have your so for me, I have my low value stuff, which is my E. coli, and I have them make my high value product. So for me, though, I, I work on something called cell free protein synthesis so that's my current work so i grow up a whole bunch of e coli uh, enough that you can actually see this massive clump of them and i bust them open right so they're they're not they're not living anymore bust them open and i basically harvest their guts or their cytoplasm right i, I don't want their cell membranes right every every cell has a cell membrane and i, I don't want that that kind of gets in the way of what i'm doing and uh their guts will still work after they're dead. Wow. Yeah. Which, uh, totally weird, but you have to think about it in terms of like, it's very, it's, it's very simple. They're very simple components. As long as the, as long as the stuff that they need is there, they'll, they'll still continue to do, uh, what they were doing before. Now it only lasts for so long, but it's a really simple way of making what you want. So we're interested in making proteins and you know, proteins are, proteins are everywhere. You know, they're, they're responsible for, uh, st- structures, um, functions. Uh, they're responsible for a lot of diseases. You know, I mean, you can, human skin is made up of a, of a bunch of different proteins, you know, uh, cartilages, even there's even some protein in bone and teeth and, yeah, the better that you understand how these work, um, kind of the better you can – in my opinion, the better you can do human health. Now, other people want to use proteins for for different reasons, right? They want to use enzymes to catalyze reactions and stuff like that. But what we are trying to find is what kind of proteins would we like to test out on a on a small scale? So we're not going to do like the big manufacturing to make money. We're more focused on, okay, we have – this uh you know these cell guts what we'll call cell extract and they will make a protein if we give them the right genetic information so basically um dna tells the extract what protein to make so i get online i look up what protein i want to make um and then i order a piece of dna that codes <laughs> for that protein now, you can basically you can get online and just order it and be like okay i want this uh piece of dna that codes for this protein and then you just add it to the reaction i mean it's 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 that's oversimplified but it's basically
4: it's basically basically
2: like an amazon but the cells dna Uh.
0: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely wow (laughs) so yeah you would you would never think i never knew there's one just like two hours down the road Ah. (laughs) (laughs) and so uh yeah it's it's pretty modular right it's like as long as i can make this cell extract i can use it to make kind of whatever protein I want with some limitations
2: so it's kind of like the e coli is like a vehicle to help get you uh, where you want to go or, or doing something that you want to do and uh, and just plug different things into that system
0: yeah basically it's it's just a tool and uh, you can tweak certain things about the tool to uh, get the output that you want you know and uh, you know typically people keep live e coli and what they do is you can also put DNA in live e coli and they'll make the protein that's on that, uh, that DNA while they're alive. And they'll make a ton of it. And so that's what you would do if you wanted to actually manufacture a bunch of protein. But it takes a long time to do that. So for mine, it's a little more small scale, right? So if you had – if you're like, okay, well, we, you know we have this protein, but we want to see if we can improve this protein's function. Or we just want to change a few amino acids in this protein and see what happens – that's kind of what mine's better for because everything happens really fast. you don't make a lot of it you make enough to test uh, but it's it's a lot quicker
2: okay you said that this really wasn't the idea of why you went to uh, grad school w- what was the or, or what do you want to do as a end result uh so
0: i you know I originally got into grad school because I saw the biomedical engineering field okay so it, it, at the University of Oklahoma, we didn't have a, a BME department at the time. They, they just got one, you know, about a year or so ago. Uh, it was just a chemical engineering department, and we would teach uh, an intro to biomedical class as a graduate elective, and they would teach tissue engineering as a graduate elective. Now, undergrads had to take at least one graduate elective, uh, and I took the biomedical one, and I was like, man, this stuff is really cool. Because at the time, I wasn't like a, really big into biology, but that – that was real more like application based, like, you know, this is what biomedical engineers do, and a lot of chemical engineers actually do this. And it was just a, it, the, that class was very kind of like broad spectrum. It just showed all the different things you can do. But the one that I really liked was tissue engineering. And so I took a class in that. They happened to offer it while I was there. And that's basically trying to regenerate damaged or lost tissue through. Through engineering means. you know, People would typically think that a, a biologist or someone with an MD would be into this. But the thing is, is like those people don't – never take the engineering side of classes. And so anything that involves like really hardcore math, like if they've never taken that hardcore math, they can't really they, – they wouldn't even know that it's necessary, right? And it turns out that – let's say cartilage – for example, we'll just we'll just use cartilage as an example, right? So, cartilage is made up of, uh, you know, some different things. One of the primary components is collagen, and it's arranged in. There's different types of collagen, which I didn't know until just a few years ago. Um, you know, it's tightly packed. It's really fibrous, but there are cells in the collagen, and they make the collagen. But they also kind of need the collagen to survive. So it's kind of a cycle there. Well, anytime that you damage uh, your, uh, your collagen in your joints, you actually kill some of those cells. And those cells don't like to regenerate. And if you kill a few of them, they're pretty sensitive, so almost all of them will die. And then you'll start to wear away your collagen and – or I'm sorry, you'll start to wear away um, – Gosh, what was I saying there? I just lost it. Uh, cartilage. Okay. Yeah, you start. Yeah. Sorry, I, I totally lost there. Uh, you start to wear away your cartilage, right? And you know, uh, the the tissue engineer sets back and says, "Okay, well, let's look at sort of the proper, like the physical properties of cartilage, which maybe people didn't think about before. Like, how much can you stretch it before it tears? How much can you compress it before it bursts?" Uh, Things like that. And then – so that's a very like material science type thing to to understand the material properties of that. And they also started to say, well, you can't just take these cells. Uh, They're called chondrocytes. So chondrocytes are the cells that grow in cartilage. They said, well, we can't just take chondrocytes and inject them like let's say into your knee and have them produce cartilage, which would have been the original uh, biological solution to the problem right but then you take an engineering approach to the problem and you say well these chondrocytes probably like to grow on collagen or something with the same material properties as collagen and so that's where the engineering here kind of takes off you're now trying to manufacture a material that replicates collagen so that these cells will grow on them and that they'll and they'll be happy, and then they'll actually make collagen. Sorry,
2: cartilage. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> they'll,
0: make, they'll make cartilage, right? Uh, and then you can go ahead and put that into the knee. Uh, and sometimes instead they'll they'll find these uh, they'll make g- some things called hydrogels, and you can put cells in these hydrogels and inject it in, and that gel will stiffen and start to mimic cartilage and the cells will like it and they'll start to reproduce and uh again make cartilage and so that's a very it's a little more on the material science side but you also have to think about things that a chemical engineer would typically think about so you have to think that these cells they want they want a certain amount of oxygen they want a certain amount of blood flow um then you have to remove any uh metabolic byproducts so any waste and that's a very, that's very much an engineering problem.
4: <laughs>
2: that's a lot and of it, things that, to, to, in a system to kind of tweak into, and into and find like a happy uh, place for that uh, stuff to grow, the, the cartilage to, to develop. I'm oh yeah. Sure, I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than you just explained, but you, you made it simple enough to where I can understand that it's very complicated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, but it's, it's complicated, but it's, there's a lot of knobs to twist, but yeah. it's, it's really it's really interesting, especially for, you know, for for me being an athlete. Like, we all get injuries, but I'm sure you've, uh, I mean, I'm sure you have maybe some like aching pains from jujitsu. Oh sure. Um, oh yeah, and that so that's kind of what got me into it. It's like, well, what if we could, uh, what if we could fix these kind of like aching pains without having to go through hardcore surgery?
2: That'd be great. And I'm sure everybody listening is 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 hoping you find <laughs> some some big breakthrough and uh, <laughs> benefit from that yourself, and everybody would benefit as well. So, that's <laughs> you're explaining all this stuff and this complicated biology stuff, and and, and something that just popped in the head. I got to know: Do you wash your belt in between training sessions?
0: Oh man, uh, usually I don't. Okay, <laughs> uh, which is which is kind of weird with me working with uh, microorganisms and stuff all the time. <laughs> um, the times that my belt has been washed has like been an accident, or or if I, you know what, I, I have watched it once or twice where I've had it and it just
2: smelled so bad. So when it smells bad, what are we smelling there?
0: <sighs> well, you know, a little bit of that is is actually from your sweat, right? So you, your sweat gets in and it soaks in and then the water dries out and it leaves it it can leave some pretty nasty stuff basically um and so you'll smell that stuff sometimes and uh other times it might be uh it might be some bacteria or something like that uh the thing is is like bacteria typically they need they need something to eat and there's really not a whole lot to eat in your belt uh, but there's there's definitely some other, yeah, you're you're mostly going to be smelling the, mostly smelling the stuff that comes out of your own skin.
2: Okay. I always just thought that you're kind of sopping up a lot of stuff on the mat as well, um, just because it's oh, yeah. touching the mat more than it's touching me. And <laughs> I've been washing my belt for years, and uh, it's just part of the habit. You know, I get home, I throw my gi and the belt and, and all that stuff and into and the, the machine and, and hit go, and...
0: Uh, oh yeah, Any, anything on that mat will, will will also get soaked up by the belt. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's absolutely true.
2: To, Jared, to be honest, I'm a little surprised that you that you don't have it as a habit to uh, of washing your belts. Knowing as much as you do, know and and uh, yeah, it's a little surprising.
0: Well, I did karate for so long when I was younger. Uh, you know, just just for fun. Yeah. And that was that was one of the big things. Like, it doesn't matter what martial art it is. They're always like, okay, you don't wash your belt. Um, and, and I th- I think that's cool. I think it's a cool tradition, and I've I've always grappled with that. Like especially after getting into this, I'm like, gosh, do I wash this thing? Do I not wash this thing? But you know, am I going to get some crazy infection from it someday? Like, it's an internal struggle that I deal with. That yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you could get something. You could give something to somebody else. Um, you know, like oh, yeah. the, there, there's lots of infections out there that other people get. Uh, while well, training jujitsu and and if we could eliminate like ten percent of them by washing uh, the outside of our uniforms, I think that's a good thing. It, like in karate, I don't think karate is as is, is maybe not as important because they're typically standing and maybe you drip a little bit onto your own belt. But you know, in jiu-jitsu we have people walking on the mats, their their feet may be less clean than you would would hope. You know, and you know, I, I know you work very hard on the mats as well. So there are times when there's just just liquid on the mat. <laughs> so I don't know. I, it, I'm not trying to debate you here or anything like that. But I'm a I, I wash my belt. Haven't noticed any any difference in uh, my performance, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and nobody seems to seems to mind it. And I would feel like I hate to have somebody get like a staff infection. And be like, well, how clean is my uniform? You know, like, and thinking about that, and, and if if it contributed at all to something like that.
0: Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I I absolutely absolutely agree with that. It's you know, it's just one of those traditions where I have to sit around and think about it. But I do, I do try to do a happy medium. I will spray my belt with Lysol, like soak it with Lysol. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's not going to get everything.
2: Yeah. So. so- I, and I've I've heard this like during the I don't know I've, I'm just I'm interested in in a lot of different things so I going off on this kind of a sciencey tangent I think is is kind of fun but like in, in the cold and flu season you wash your hands uh, and you're basically you're not killing anything you're just washing it away and so does is that when we wash our belts we actually remove the stuff from the belt and wash it away It doesn't really kill a lot and the lysol actually kills things is that um. Is that at all right or am I just remembering that wrong?
0: Uh, okay. Well, it can. Okay. So when you wash with soap, soap is uh, – soap can absolutely kill stuff. Okay. Uh, and that's because soap is – okay, without without getting too crazy about it, it's like if you have – so if you have a, a bacteria, right? A bacteria is just going to have this this cell membrane that's basically um, made of fat. So it's made, it's made of lipids or made of yeah. you know, fat. Well, soap – is able to dissolve fats.
2: Okay, so it just busts the membranes up. So it, it, it can,
0: yeah, it absolutely can. So it's because it, it, you know we refer to soap kind of like in, in science, like it, it's a detergent, and part of the soap is uh, what one part of the soap is more like fat, and one part of the soap is more like um, more like water, right? Because you know those two don't really mix. Um, so you have basically I- any soap molecule has a a fatty part and a more of like a water part that mixes with water a little better. And so it can, it can absolutely start to dissolve those cell membranes and stuff like that. And then even with viruses, viruses are basically, viruses are basically one big protein and strong detergents and soaps and stuff can, uh, can actually mess with those proteins as well. Hmm. So it, it does, it, it does remove it from the hands, but it can also, it can also kill them, you know, especially if you have like an antibacterial uh, soap that has a little something extra added yeah. in there to to kill them.
2: But that's kind of what Lysol is the is the antibacterial elements. It just kills them right there.
0: Yeah, Lysol basically doesn't have, uh, you know, basically doesn't have any. Uh, I don't think it has any soap or yeah. strong detergents. It might have a little bit, but anything with a detergent will suds up. Do you know what you kind yeah. of know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Even if you have you have just a little bit of it, like a very little bit of it. It will still make suds. And, I, yeah, I don't think Lysol Lysol has that. But, I mean, there's a lot of other things out there. So, like, if uh, you, know, you wash your hands with ethanol or, or, like, vodka or something, that's going to pretty much kill <laughs> any microorganism. It, it might dry your skin out also, but uh, it will pretty much kill anything on there.
2: Huh. There we go. <laughs> I I didn't know for sure what we'd be talking about today, but uh, it you know you get somebody that knows as much about uh, biology and, and and that sort of thing, and um, it's good to to use you as that resource as well. I mean, you have a lot of knowledge about jiu-jitsu and, and training methods and that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, you, you bring some things that most people don't really understand, and it's great that you share that with us.
0: Man, I. <sighs> I surprisingly, maybe it's not surprising. I guess you have to kind of be a bit of a nerd to stay in school this long. Uh, I do. I love to geek out on stuff like that.
2: (laughs) Well, that's good. What what do you see as your, your future? Like maybe like within a year and then even longer with, with competitive jujitsu?
0: I really hope to just keep going about it the same way that I always have. Um, I I would like to compete more often definitely and so that's that's my goal my goal is to try to find more time to travel and compete Um, obviously my goal is to also try to continue to keep a balance uh, with training and school and I I think I'm always fighting that battle of trying to um, trying to make that happen, trying to make it work as best as it can because it's and it's, it's obviously, like as you know, it I mean it's variable. It changes week to week what you're able to do. I think the, the biggest thing that will come up with that is I'm actually, you know, I told you that this is the research that I do and then I told you the research that I want to do. And I've pretty much kind of found out that if I stay at Iowa State, I won't be able to do that research. So I've been applying to some other Graduate programs in uh, in biomedical engineering. You know, I originally wanted to be a Kimmy that does biomedical, but if I go to a biomedical program, I'll definitely be able to do something like that. And so, if I decide to accept, you know, if I get into another school and I decide to accept and move, then I'm going to have to move somewhere else and get into you know get into my groove with another graduate program get into the groove with some other place to train and you know as you know if, if you're going to move somewhere you kind of got to start all over and, and start from the you know build that up again build up whatever, whatever system i've got going here you know it, it, it's not the best but it works and now i have to find that i would have to find that somewhere else also and so that's that's something that could happen basically within the next year and that would probably be the biggest the biggest thing
2: I guess are you always going to consider yourself kind of a student? I mean, is that just the nature of the business that you're going to be in? You're always going to be um, having to learn and develop things. Maybe not like in a school setting, but the the idea that you feel that you learn better and you perform better um, off the mats when you're consider yourself a an athlete. Think that will that will stay with you uh, for a long time?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I certainly hope so. You know Jitsu is the sport that we all think of as something that we can do while we're aging and you can continue to do it while you're pretty old. I don't know you know when I would have to actually stop competing. I hope I can continue to be healthy enough to compete for many many years but I am like I'm definitely a student. I definitely love to learn and I think that once the learning stops, uh, you know, things are things are no longer fun. Once you feel like you're not learning anymore, uh, you, you kind of stagnate. Things become less fun. And so I think that's also, it's one thing with jujitsu and people talk about how the journey really starts at black belt. Well, I kind of rushed up to black belt and there was a lot of stuff I didn't learn. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know. And that's really what, I've been trying to fix as a black belt. So while other people are out here really uh, trying to strategize and focus on their games, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, well, what is my game? How should I best implement it? And then what about this other thing that seems pretty cool that I should have learned a few years ago, but I didn't. Uh, And, and it's just being, for me, you know, being black belt is being very exploratory. It's being very curious. Like, obviously I still have to, have my a game nailed down pretty good before i go to compete but i i I like exploring these other things too and i think i kind of have that personality in school as well like i i'm in school i've been in school for so long because you know i i majored in this and then i decided like crap you know that's not really that's not really what i wanted to do let me try this out and then it it, i liked it but then it took me somewhere where i didn't want to be and i was like okay I have this one thing that I really want to do. I've got to be able to do this before I call it quits on school. And so now I'm kind of in that too. So like each time I took it, uh, you know, I got to learn something different and try to figure out where it is that I actually want to be, what it is that I actually want to do. And I, <laughs> I, I think that's very similar to to what I'm going through with the black belt, you know. Um, I originally thought that, like, oh, man, this was going to be my game. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be great at this. And then I was like, whoa, crap, maybe I don't like that as much as I as I like this. Let me try this over here and and, and let me try this over here. And so, um, yeah, I think I'm always going to be, a, you know, a student of the game, even though um, I'm, I'm guilty of not watching film very often or at all. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that love of learning is Absolutely what keeps me in it.
2: I, I, I like what you were you were saying, and I think that we could all take this and, and apply it to our own jujitsu. We get these A games, which yeah, your A game is an actual A game. It's it's like uh elite level competitor. But we all have what we consider to be the best parts of our game. And we we tend to play those a lot, and that's and that's probably why and big element why they are our A game. But you still need to have that part that is open to new things that is experimenting out there and, and it will take you in different ways sometimes. And a lot of times those are dead ends. Like maybe I'll work on the um, certain sweep for a week or two and it never goes anywhere. But if I do that and I, and you know, I try things a lot and experiment and then I keep my A game, you know, uh, developed and, and polished, I guess occasionally you'll find something that's great and that fits into that and and it really uh, takes off for you. And I think that that's something that is easy to forget. It's easy to just go in there and play your A game all the time and and, and to do your best and forget that we're training to learn, not just to do better while training.
0: Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. And and what I've found a lot is I've looked at some of my losses and I saw that, okay, I was was definitely doing my A game, but if I would have just been a little more open to trying something else that could have went differently you know it, it, it's kind of like you eventually have to take the risk because your a-game has to evolve because other people are going to watch film on you or they're going to know about you and they're going to have a counter ready for you and if you just go out there and do the same thing every time people are going to catch on and then it becomes the fact that like well your a-game just has to be so good that no one can stop it, and that's that's really hard. Uh, and so, I, I think you always have to look at your a game and say, okay, well, what if you know, what if I decided to add this? What if I decided to spice things up a little bit and try this out? And so, I, yeah, absolutely, I I definitely uh, train and try other things. That's that's part of the reason I'd actually like to compete more. It's like so go and add these new things without feeling as much pressure. Right. So it's like I haven't competed Nogi all year, but, you know, I'm going to Nogi Worlds this week and it's like, oh, do you do you just go with the A game that everybody knows that you have? Or do you open it up a little bit, take the risk and uh, give people something they haven't seen?
2: Yeah, and that's that's part of the fun as as spectators as well. Um, uh, Jared. What do you, what advice do you have for somebody who's in school full time? Really? You know, that's, that's a big focus for them. And they're also wanting to get better at jujitsu and, and to get the most of that journey. Uh, what do you have for them for advice?
0: So my, f- my first, um, my first piece of advice, like the first step that I think anybody should take is using which, whichever online calendar they want to use, whether it's, you know, Apple or Google calendar, I use Google calendar just because it, syncs with everything that i have and put in there what class times for jiu-jitsu that are relevant to you right so i mean if you've got a if there's a 10 a.m jiu-jitsu class but you have a 10 a.m class at school i probably wouldn't put that one down because it's it's really unlikely that you're going to get to go to that one unless class gets canceled and you know how you can tell it to repeat this for however long or repeat until infinity or whatever just have the ones that you think would be your best options on there repeating so that every day you have that reminder at this time I can go to jujitsu. Right. Uh, And then my other, you know, the next thing would be if you can't make every one of them, you know, if you've, if you've blocked off five a week, don't think that you have to go five times a week. Every now and then you're going to have homework or, or maybe you have to go to school and get a job uh, or, or maybe, who knows, you know, like maybe maybe you get a date or something, right? So don't try to hold yourself to it super strict, right? Just know that if you miss one or two, you know, you have three or four other options that you can go to. And at the same time, you know, during your day, if something does happen and you do have some free time, if, if you have two hours of free time, I would say that's a, that's a pretty good chunk, you know? And if it's, if it's not at the same time as a jujitsu class, don't waste those two hours. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that sitting and and watching Netflix is a waste because there's research out there that shows that we actually have to, um, I don't want to say unplug because if you're watching Netflix, you're not really unplugged. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's, there's definitely, you have to pull yourself away from everything and you have to like turn your brain off. Unwind. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so if you absolutely if you feel like if you have a lot of stress and you need to do that then you yeah, absolutely but you know if you've got a 2 hour block in a day that's perfect to go in and get like an hour like an hour strength and conditioning session or yoga or whatever it is you do to supplement your jiu jitsu right so always be flexible with that always be flexible with your free time if you if you have such a thing and um for me I don't always take advantage of my weekend as well as I could. But I think that's something that people should definitely do, right? And so if you have training on Saturday and then you have Sunday off, you know you might think of going in and going to the gym on Sunday. Again, for, you know, a short strength and conditioning session or if you either did, you know, if you lifted or trained every other day, that week, then then don't go in on Sunday, right? So so part so part of my advice is be smart about what you're doing to your body, you know. Especially if you're in school, some people in school are super stressed out. They're very type A, uh, and, and I'm not at all. So that that makes things a little easier for me. Uh, but the biggest thing is too is that you miss a lot of sleep, and if you if you feel terrible, like if you just absolutely feel horrible, you know, take the day off. Be willing to be uh, – be willing to take a day off. A lot of people don't want to. So I, I would say my biggest – so my biggest things is uh, put the training times on something like a Google Calendar. Okay. Uh, be flexible with your free time. Uh, take advantage of it. And don't be afraid to take a day off and, and take a rest. And I think those are the three, those are the three biggest things to me.
2: Great. And, and <laughs> you're definitely an authority on those topics. <laughs> uh, really amazing what you're doing. And, and we don't see, uh, I, I don't know anybody else who's in the jiu-jitsu world that's doing what you're doing uh, as busy as you are studying and, and doing things like that and competing at that level and, and, and juggling that. So you're a great example to learn from.
0: Oh, well, thanks, man. I, I occasionally I think there's there's some people who are they're just kind of struggling with it or they're not black belts yet or something
2: yeah uh, yeah there's probably a lot of people that we don't hear about but
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I, but, I mean I get messages every now and then from people and honestly they're like oh man you know I look up to you like you inspire me like I do this this and this and I'm like man uh that what you just told me is inspiring to, <laughs> to me you know I've I've definitely heard some some pretty good stories they're just not uh they're just not big name competitors you know
2: yeah, and that's most people aren't big name competitors, but we have to live our lives uh, the best that we can and be happy with what we're doing. And uh, if if you want to do well in competition and you want to, you know, do well in school, which if you're in school, you should be trying to do well because it's it's a big deal, <laughs> it's expensive, and it's a lot, it's time consuming, and and that sort of thing. So, um, you, you know, great advice, Jared.
0: Oh yeah, no problem. Any any time.
2: <laughs> you do have um. Uh, a sponsor too, you want to you on the mention?
0: Yes, absolutely. So uh, my sponsor is Hyperfly, and they've—I've been with them for a long time. Great people, great product. Um, if you go to hyperflybrand.com, you can browse all. This is the stuff that I always wear when I'm competing. And if you use the code MEGALO you get 10% off.
2: That's nice. And- I have to. Have to offer
0: you guys something for getting on there. <laughs>
2: that's cool, and um, you were you were back on here several years ago, and Hyperfly was your sponsor then, and uh, I think that's that's really cool. You see a lot of times people uh, change sponsors, or sponsors will drop an athlete, or something like that. But that's cool that you've had that relationship with them.
0: Oh yeah, like I said, they're they're great people. They're all about keeping. Um, they're all about keeping the the sponsors uh, the sponsored athletes taken care of, and I, I you know I honestly don't know why other people jump sponsors so much. I've got a great relationship with these people. I think the product's amazing, and I I don't ever see myself going anywhere else.
2: Uh, I forgot to ask you. I was going to ask you before I let you go. Um, are you training more Gi or no Gi? or or what's your current like status with that?
0: I wind up training more Gi. And he, oddly enough, everybody thinks I'm a Nogi guy. I think I'm just better at Nogi for whatever reason, but I have always trained more in a gi than, than no I mean, I, I, I do step up the Nogi training a bit, you know, before Nogi worlds or before ADCC, obviously, but uh, yeah, I always just somehow find myself at the gi classes more often.
2: That's cool. And they both, you seem to do things that translate, uh, you know, from one to the other very well. So that's, uh, I think that's something a lot of us could try to relate to.
0: Yeah, it's tough because when you really get down and think about it, they're they're almost different sports.
2: Yeah, you see, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, like you see these, I, I think of it kind of like the like Olympic swimming, and you see like some of these athletes winning multiple medals and multiple different uh, swimming strokes. Those are actually different things. Like, yeah, it's all swimming, and they have that base set of lungs and these really good muscles and all that stuff. But the actual techniques they're doing are different, and same thing with like okay, you know, if you got if you you know you are Jared Dob, you've got the your strength and and physical abilities you know that you have, and you're plugging them into different things, and and they are quite a bit different when it comes down to it. But um, it's it's just common in our our community still that people uh, want to excel at both, and it's really it's impressive to see people do that.
0: Well, and I'll tell you this: I wish I was successful in the gi as I was no gi, but um, it, it it really is tough, right? Especially if you train gi all the time, you're super comfortable grabbing the gi, and then you go into no gi, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I don't have anything to hold on to. I can't can't slow this guy down." Um, I try to keep those principles the same, you know. I instead of I focus a lot on like wrist control, net control. You know uh, grabbing the ankles and things like that. and so I try to take away um, I try to take away the person's ability to to make it much different. And I think a lot of people don't really uh, they just don't really see that. They don't see that they can do that and um, you have to use it a different way, obviously. Uh, but I, I think that they don't realize that there actually is a lot of technique and a lot of control possibilities in Nogi.
2: Jared, uh, I've had a great time talking with you. Where can people follow you or, or, or uh, keep up with you?
0: Uh, yeah, so you can add me on Facebook. I, it, you just search Jared Dopp. Um, you know what? I made a fan page quite a while ago, and that's just – I never even posted. I feel like I shouldn't have even done that. But um, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat active on Facebook, not that active. Uh, you can kind of see more if you follow my Instagram, and that's just at Megalodop uh and it's the same for twitter uh at megalodop on there
2: that's great i'll put links to those in the show notes uh before i let you go do you have any final words uh for the audience
0: uh yeah man you know if if anybody has ever uh thought that what i've said or done is inspiring to you in any way uh just please uh, shoot me a message to say hey man i really like uh what you're doing or, or, or whatever even if you don't like what i'm doing you can tell me that too um I, messages like that honestly kind of keep me motivated also. I like seeing uh, when other people have kind of gone through uh, similar stuff and still managed to make things happen. I, I That actually, uh, that inspires me as well.
2: That's awesome. Thank you, Jared, so much. Yeah, thanks, Byron. Man, it was great having Jared Dopp on the show again. It was good to catch up with him and, and to see what he's up to, and I'm just impressed by his uh, ability to, to do very difficult things at the same time, you know, being a, a PhD student, studying these really complicated things and and uh, trying to help, I guess, help everybody. In reality, he's, he's wanting to, to do some, some scientific research that would benefit all of mankind potentially. So, I really like that and also, you know, be the best he can at jiu-jitsu. And, and I really like that he credits um, being an athlete in the fact that he's a like it helps him be a better student. And man, like we could all consider that possibility, whether we're students or whether we're, you know, going to work or family people, possibly being an athlete or being somebody who practices jujitsu or any other sport, that might help us do better at the things that we're doing off the mat. So uh just consider that and maybe some of you guys who are considering this is this worth it, this is it really hard to do everything at once? Maybe you're doing better at uh, your off the mat activities because of jujitsu, guys. This week we have an article from a kind of a place we don't usually get articles from, uh, the or Post dot com. I was just Dang, looking at like Making the big time. <laughs> yeah, well, we could really pick any article we want in the world, so <laughs> we do like to have a smaller. Uh, blogs and, and, and jujitsu things like that, but I was just looking at stuff for like kids and sports, and this popped up, and I thought it was very interesting. It's titled, Why 70% of Kids Quit Sports by Age 13. And it was written by Juliana Minor. And, Man, uh, that's
1: crazy. Just that statistic right there. It's kind of yeah. saddening.
2: Yeah. that 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 is saddening. And It it goes into a couple different reasons why this could be happening. Uh, The first one is it's not fun anymore, and um, and if you're really if you're not real good at it, and and it's not that fun, you're not going to stick around. Yeah, you definitely need to have fun. Yeah. So uh, I don't have any kids. Uh, You guys uh, have that experience, so I'll lean on you guys more uh, in this one. What do you guys think about? uh, kids losing the fun in sports. I think that is, is the big
1: problem. Um, you know, I grew up and I just remember sports equated fun. Um, and that's what it. I've always thought sports would supposed to be about. And I was, I was talking to Byron a little bit beforehand, um, before we started the show and before you got on here, Joe, but, uh, you know, my boy started off in, in wrestling and he wrestled for four years. And then, uh, one year he told me he doesn't want to wrestle anymore. He wants to, uh, to, um, uh, play basketball. And, you know, I, I just kind of asked him why. And, uh, he just said it wasn't fun anymore. And, you know, I was like, okay, let's try basketball. And, you know, he, he has fun at basketball every year. I asked him, you know, do you want to play basketball again? Do you want to, uh, uh, wrestle? What do you want to do? I, I give him the choice and, you you know basketball is his most fun but I was telling Byron a little story about uh you know before every game I always tell tell him I want to see out there and I want to see a smile on your face when you're playing I, I want him to have fun and uh you know if he ends up you know making the high school team down the road you know so be it but I still want him to have fun and uh I've been kind of ruined uh, where sports wasn't fun anymore you know I, I've been a basketball player my whole life and uh, that was uh, my sport I, I went to college to play basketball and my senior year I quit you know I I, I don't like to use the word quit because uh, I don't like to quit anything but my senior year I did not play I just said I'm done and I lost the fun of sports uh, of basketball and I just it wasn't fun anymore and that's it was just weird. I always had the most best time ever playing basketball. And I just got to the point. It it was a job. It was something I didn't want to do. And and so I can kind of know, you know, where my son was going when he, when he was telling me that.
3: Yeah. You know, I, I think the author kind of hit on a real key point. And maybe you, this was part of your experience, Gary. He says, uh, those who stick around find that being on a team means a greater commitment of time and effort. It also means being surrounded by people who care very much about the outcome and unfortunately those people that care very much about the outcome are often not the teammates it's it's the parents and the coaches and the sponsors and you know you were a senior before you hit this level but sometimes i think 12 to 13 year old kids who should be having fun their parents and coaches are very much worried about how many goals did you score who won the game you know who's going to state who's going to nationals. Uh, those kind of outcomes and that can be saved for later in life. I think at twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old it still needs to be about having fun.
1: I agree, Joe.
2: A little further down the article it talks about um the culture doesn't support kids playing for fun. It wants kids to to be to win or to be successful. And, and the two, <laughs> I guess if you're winning, it, it can be fun for sure. But a lot of times, even when you're doing well, you're having to push very hard, and, and that sort of thing, and the, kind of the fun goes out of it. I'm a little bit on the fence on this because I do want the kids to to push themselves and to develop, and and to meet challenges that that aren't necessarily all like you know great times, you know, like just just playing games all the time. You got to do some, some scrimmaging, some, some hard workouts, some things, you know, you have to roll with the guy you don't want to roll with occasionally and that sort of thing and, and develop some character in uh, those sort of ways. But like you have to overall be happy when practice starts. You have to um, overall be excited to call yourself a blank athlete. You know, I, I play basketball. I'm a basketball player. You know, I'm a jujitsu person. And if, if, if that's no longer the case, I think it's just a matter of time. You know, when, when the kids um, aren't excited about jiu jitsu time and time again, there's only so many of those in a row you could have before you're not excited to take them to jiu jitsu anymore. And then uh, they don't want to go, you don't want to take them, and it's over. And uh, I, I don't know. I think that with, I think jiu jitsu beats some of these things because the, the competitive aspect of it isn't always there. Uh, like if you do a sport in in school, that will lead to competing within that the program. Games. Yeah, you could kids do jujitsu and they just do jujitsu, like the, like competition. For some kids, is always on their mind and they're excited to do it and they want to. Some kids just want to come in and train and yeah, I do jujitsu. Like yeah, I play the piano and no, I'm not doing big recitals or whatever. But they they're learning the skill. Um, I think it's a little easier to do that at a juicer school than if you're going to play football, you're going to play in the football game. (laughs) And like, that's what, you know what I mean? It's a little different. You're talking about, you know, going on, you started
1: out talking about the culture no longer supports older kids playing for the fun of it. And another thing that we were talking about before we came on the air and before you were there, Joe was my boy plays basketball now and his basketball team is terrible this year. I mean, they haven't won a game. And yeah, it was crazy because a, a parent came over to me before a game yesterday and it's like, hey, how's Connor, you know, taking to the team? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, my kid, you know, he's really upset, you know, because they're losing everything. And I was like, no, it really hasn't. I haven't heard Connor say one bad thing about them losing. You know, he it's just he's out there having fun. But the kind of another thing that happened was – um, one of the, the coaches, my, my boy's a, a smaller kid. He's probably the smallest kid on the team. And, uh, and he knows my boy used to wrestle and everything. And he was telling me that, uh, uh, because middle school is coming next year. He was telling me that, Hey, I might want to get Connor back into wrestling because Connor's not very tall and he's probably not going to go anywhere in basketball. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like I'm glad he told that to me instead of Connor. You know, because sometimes the coach hears that, and you know, basically, is going to take that coach's word, and um, you know, and and like I was telling Byron, is like the crazy thing is, you know, I may be a little biased, but I think Connor's the best player on the team. You know, on that team by far. But um, um, I was telling Byron, I I told uh, Connor about that afterwards. And Connor's like, well, I want to prove him wrong. He's like, let's work really hard, hard so I can make the team next year. And I just thought that was awesome that, you know, he's going to take that as as growth, as motivation. But I just think it's terrible because that goes back to that culture. Uh, You know, we put kids into what we think they can do or not. It's like, hey, your kid's not very tall. Who knows if he's going to hit a growth spurt or tell that to Spud Webb, who played in the NBA at five foot five or or Mugsy Bogues at five foot three. Uh, you know, guys can do it. Don't don't let somebody tell you you can't do something um and you're you're never gonna do it. So um I'm just glad uh you know we learned lessons from uh, a bad job by a coach.
3: Yep. Gary, that's a good example of uh a coach having the potential to take all the fun out of it for a kid. So Yeah. Yep. Glad glad Connor's got the right attitude and pushing forward and I mean, sometimes you're not built for the sport you're playing anyway. That's just the facts yeah. of life. But uh, no, it sounds like uh, he's got the right attitude.
1: Yep. And Joe, you know, me and you are a little bit older. Um, I'd like to go on to point. <laughs> I, I am a little bit
3: older. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but Joe, you remember back in our day, it's uh, we. I played every sport that was going on in the neighborhood. If it was football season, we played football. If it was baseball season, we played baseball and we all played all sorts of sports. And, uh, the next point this uh, author is getting to, there's a clear push for kids to specialize and achieve at the highest possible level. And, you know, I look at my nieces, uh, who are very, very good softball players. And, uh, you know, they've just devoted themselves to softball. They play year round. They have, a hitting coach, you know, on top of their regular, uh, regular practices, like they go to a specific place and pay somebody to be their hitting coach. And uh, you know, they have these bags that are on rollers that cost like probably two hundred bucks just to carry their six hundred dollars worth of gear. Their their four hundred dollar bat, their two hundred dollar glove. And I'm I remember back when I used to play, man, we'd I'd get a cheap old glove for 20 bucks. I'd find some used wooden bat and, um, I'd put the, uh, the, uh, the glove over my bat, put it on my shoulder and ride my Huffy to practice. And, uh, just the way the time has changed. And, you know, I played every sport that was there. I, we never specialized in anything. I never had extra coaches on the side. Um, and today that, that specialization is really, uh, really changed sports.
3: Yeah, Gary, that that's a great point, and it, it kind of dovetails in with his final point, I think, which is there's a cost to be competitive, and not everyone is willing or able to pay that cost. Uh, where I live, uh, well, football's real big in Texas, but at the younger ages, it seems like it's baseball and soccer that are real big, and they get into these travel teams where you know you have your your local eight eight or ten teams in town that play, and then of the best of those kids all join a team and they go play regionally or nationally. And it kind of gets to the point where if you're not good enough to be on those travel teams, it gets real discouraging. And those are the kids that drop out. But like you pointed out, Gary, it takes a huge commitment, both in time and money to make it work. I mean, parents are, are spending money to send kids to camps and, and buy special equipment and, uh yeah, as a society, I think we sometimes go too far that direction. We've got a local church in our town that does uh, upward sports, and they have a basketball league and a flag football league, and it's like, I don't know, seven years old to 12 or 13 years old, and it's really all the kids who not necessarily aren't good enough to be on the highly competitive teams, but maybe that's just, just not what motivates them. So it gives them an opportunity to get the benefits from being in sports without having to be a part of that rat race, so to speak. So I'm a big fan of these community projects where kids can play sports and not have to pay the high price to be competitive or worry about specializing or some of this other stuff.
2: Yeah, another uh, point she has in the article is that sometimes it's, it's just the age, like that thirteen-ish age. School gets more challenging. There's other activities that are going on that are, that girls, are important as well. Girls and boys. It, it,
4: <laughs> a lot of distractions. Yeah. If
2: they if they do decide to leave something like jujitsu, try to try to line it up in a way that it would be easier to come back to if they get the interest again. And, 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 and that's definitely, I don't know what that looks like, but it's definitely not keep pushing them until they hate it. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, if, if they're 13 years old and they're struggling with school, maybe they should take a little bit of time off at the mats and, and, and do better school. Maybe, you know, like that's, I think that's pretty normal, but if you keep pushing them, um, or, you know, no time to be interested in, you know, other people or whatever, um, I, it might have have a negative reaction that lasts a lot longer than i think the point that um like these kids are quitting sports that's disappointing but the 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 unfortunate thing is adults don't know how to exercise like the sports that we play as kids don't translate well over to adults mostly, mostly. Good point like like football how many guys our age are playing football like, not, not professionally, for fun, for exercise. They don't do it. So, okay, that's a waste. You know, like, I, I ran in, in junior high. I still run today. That wouldn't actually translate it over okay. But, uh, you know, basketball, you know, jumping and landing and not getting hurt, that's injury prone, I think. But there are little basketball leagues and stuff like that. It's kind of like Jiu-Jitsu. Like, you could play that a little bit better as uh, – as an adult, you know, you know, you see softball tournaments pop up now and then. People get injured, you know, like the weekend where it comes out and tries to play. And it's, I don't know. There's different sports. But the goal of it should be that they, the kids are picking up these tools to learn how to stay fit. And if if they think that fitness or sports are not for them, that's a terrible lesson to learn. It's it's way better than that. never won a championship and to be exercising into their 50s and 40s whatever uh, and being somebody who's a fit person then to have that little trophy that they won back in the you know 10th grade or whatever
1: well you remember Byron I would have won the state championship in football if coach would have just put me in
2: yeah those those are the days of our lives yep,
1: back um, then, Uncle Rico
2: <laughs>
3: yeah but uh, Gary Gary was too busy bringing the team quality h2o yeah
1: uh bobby (laughs) Boucher. you know um just going by this article it's kind of it made me start thinking about it seems like kids jujitsu is growing though and maybe other sports are dropping out and byron you gave some points about jujitsu uh why it may be working but it it seems like I look at kids' classes. I can look at uh, Fox Fitness, and, man, I just see pictures of the kids' classes. That it just grows all the time. I see a lot of local schools. I know uh, uh, Justin Raider, you know, has a great kids' school there. at Legacy is really growing, too. And um, I don't know. I wonder if uh, Jiu-Jitsu, kind of like what you said, Byron, because – you can be competitive in jiu-jitsu where you can compete every other weekend or you can just uh, show up and go through the motions. I mean, not go through the motions, make it sounds like it's terrible, but <laughs> show up and have a smile on your face and, and tap your yeah. friends out and not compete. I wonder if that's one of the reasons. Because um, to me it seems like, I like, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever done a study, but it seems like kids' sports, uh, jiu-jitsu is growing, not declining.
2: Yeah, when you're in those wonder years – and you're like on one of those competitive teams that that could eat up a whole weekend of the entire family. Like, okay, we're gonna go play a baseball tournament at one or two states away. That's the weekend versus jujitsu. You could have those weekends if you want them. They are not required. You you could also have Good point. Uh, You know, some schools pick up kids at school. They have them, and you can pick them up from tr- practice at. 5.30 or whenever practice is done, um, super convenient and easy. And the kids get all the benefits of, of being on a team and working out and, and self-defense. I don't know. It's, it's pretty easy to sell jujitsu to the crowd we're, we're talking to now.
3: <laughs> yeah. And you said something important there, Byron, and it's family, family matters. And, uh, you know, if you can do something as a family, the wife, the kids, everybody together, uh, that goes a long ways towards making it a little more sustainable. I think you could basically say it's happy days.
2: Yeah.
1: You got that right. Fonzie. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey.
4: We'll, put a,
2: a, we'll put a link to this uh, article <laughs> in the show notes. Check it out. And this, you know, it's like anything when you're trying training just to like that blue belt, you want that pearl belt, whatever. Like the whole point of it is not to get the next belt. There's so much more going on than that. So the whole point of the kid winning a tournament or having these these great things with the with his teammates and doing super well. Really in the end of it, you want an adult who is fit. And so hopefully some of these sports programs are teaching them life fitness. That could include eating right and healthy and and in uh, that fitness is for them and how to work out. I still do, like most of my stretches, I'll I'll go if I start stretching, I start stretching like I learned back in junior high, like in gym class. I'll it's it's very similar to that. Like I know a lot more stretches than that, but like my little brain walks out of my my head and I just go through some motions of stretching. It'll be my junior high style of, of stretching.
1: But the best is while he's stretching He's still wearing the junior high shorts. So uh, he attracts a, tracks a crowd when he's
2: doing that. Oh man.
3: Yeah. When Gary when and He's I got that together. athletic supporter on as well. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Gary and I would often stretch together. They just called the odd couple. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll put a link. If to I that. go,
3: if I go with you, would it be three's company? <laughs> yes, it was.
1: <laughs> okay. Jack tripper.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Uh wanna quickly mention uh our uh, supporters. Since Gary's mentioning uh, supporters, or maybe that was Joe. That was Joe. Come that was on. Joe.
1: <laughs> Byron, I think you you know your brain's not working right. You've you've self asphyxiated too much.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, different strokes for different folks. I'll just leave that was a good one there. Good one, Byron. Okay. Uh to bring it back to professionalism. Uh <laughs> no uh we want to thank our Patreon supporters they are truly supporting this podcast in in ways they probably don't even uh, fully understand um each we don't have a giant list of Patreon supporters each person that gets on there like it's a, I'll th- I'll tell you this much every time we get a new supporter I tell my wife hey we got a new Patreon supporter like if I'm at work and you know we make a call on somebody who's dead or we make a house fire whatever she may not hear about that. But every time I get a Patreon supporter, I'm like, hey, we got a new Patreon. It's exciting to me. I, I uh, really get a kick out of it because it does mean that we're growing and we're doing the right things and and uh, we're able to do more. So I want to give a quick shout out to current Patreon supporters, David, Mindy, Mark, and our newest one is Sarah. Thank you guys for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, Joe or Gary, tell us a little bit how Patreon works.
3: Well, if you uh, are a fan of content providers, whether they have a YouTube channel or in this case we have – well, we have a YouTube channel, but we also have a podcast, which uh, we rely on Patreon supporters to help us with. If you are a fan of people that provide content and you support their show, you can go on a Patreon and you can uh, contribute a little bit of cash to help us out. Most of our supporters pr- uh, provide a dollar an episode, and uh, that money goes to help us buy equipment that is needed, uh, maybe pay some travel if we need to go someplace and it helps to grow the show. So we appreciate it very much.
2: Yep. You guys uh, mean so much. Send you out all the, all the cool stuff that's described there. Five-inch BJJ Brick Gee Patch. A uh, a BJJ Brick sticker. I'll send those to you anywhere in the world. We'll throw a uh, international postage stamp on that. And, and you could be likely the only one uh, in your gym. Maybe even the only one in your country. I've only uh, emailed a few of these out. To different uh, countries, so that's kind of cool. It could be yours.
3: (laughs) Man, I feel like I butchered that. You caught me off guard with that, Byron. (laughs) No, you did good. I just
2: i i i explained it several times in a row. It's like let's have somebody else take a swing at it. (laughs) We got we got a full house here. We can make this happen. Yeah. Joe, you
1: mentioned our Facebook page, and or our YouTube page, I mean, and, and I mentioned it earlier, too, about uh, checking out Josh Hinger's uh, DVD review by Byron. Check out the YouTube page, BJJ Brick. There's a lot of content on there. Um, also, the shows are put on there, too, um, so you can check that out. Uh, we're also on uh, Facebook. That's our big one there. Uh, if you have any questions, send us an email, BJJBrick at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, so we're a lot of different places.
3: Yeah. And if you'd like a transcript of the show, go back and listen to it again and write down everything you hear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, guys, that's maybe why we should use the uh, subtitles. And we can just take pictures of them and post them.
2: That makes no sense to anybody listening. Uh, Gary <laughs> accidentally had the. We were calling on Skype here, and Gary had subtitles clicked on it. It was actually typing what we were saying. Uh, somewhat accurately and displayed on the screen. He thought we were messing with him. Gary, we wouldn't mess with you like that, man. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> That's too much work. <laughs> Never happened before. <laughs> Never. But you do have a great audio book coming out this, uh, the, I knew this holiday season. And it's Football, Byron. What would it be, Byron? Well, good. Glad you asked, Gary. And if you're new to the show, this is the portion of the show. We sometimes do this, not always. Uh, but on special days like today, you get an audio book, and I'll throw a or Joe or me or whoever will get thrown a topic at them and have to come up with a kind of audio an idea of an audiobook on the spot or a regular book. Sometimes these have been coloring books. Um, we actually had a pop-up book, pop-up a book times. educational DVD's, uh, in-class instructionals, whatever. The the world's out there, Gary. You teach this subject however you want. Uh, this is called. I think this was. This is actually a, a seminar Gary's going to go around and teach uh, to the business world. It's called Attacking the Customer. This is Gary's Guide to Keeping the Employees Happy.
1: Yeah, well, Byron, first of all, before we get into Attacking the Customer... Which
2: you almost did, two old ladies that were customers. Yeah. I was actually going to
1: have a audiobook for you, Why... of the kids don't quit sports by the age of 13. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just sitting there thinking when you were, uh, I was like, if Byron throws that one out there, you can tell me and him, we've hung out too much. (laughs) But but no, uh, my book, Attacking the Customer. And you think about it. What's your goal in business? We want to make money, right? We want to make as much money as possible. That's putting money into our pocket. That's that's classic. That's a classic yeah. Al
2: Bundy line, like from Married yeah. with Children. Yep, Al
1: Bundy, another jujitsu guy. He's our. He's a black belt. He's he's so perfect. I'm glad I quoted him, even though I don't know if that's a quote. From no, him. probably
2: not. Probably
1: not. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but the big thing is is a lot of times the customers will say no. They say no a lot of times, and that's why one of the big things that we're going to learn in chapter one is jujitsu. We talk about jujitsu. In Byron's audiobook for only $11.99, the benefits of it. We talk about, you know, health issues, weight issues, um, you know, strength, self-defense, camaraderie, social, you know, maternal, you know, all those different um, um, aspects. But never once did Byron talk about, you know, business. And what we're going to use that for, jujitsu, is we're going to make the customer say yes. So let's just think about Joe comes in. Joe comes to my house to uh, buy, you know, he wants to look at the uh, the weight bench I posted for sale on Craigslist. Joe comes by, and I have that thing offered. It says $250, uh, firm. And so Joe comes over, and uh, he sees it, and he likes it, and he wants it because he wants to increase his bench press. Like, right now, Joe's benching 45 I like your,
2: your three quote. Qual- he sees it. He likes it. He wants it. That just sounds yeah. bad. <laughs> Joe wants to get up to 55 pound
1: budget. He, he wants to look know.
4: like
2: the Incredible Hulk. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. So that's what he wants to do. But so Joe offers me $200. I'm not going to take $200. But how can I make Joe pay me 250 Because we know he has it. I mean, just look at his new truck. We know he's got it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to twist his arm. Literally. And, uh, you know, that could be a Kimura. Uh, we could use an arm bar. I mean, I may even, you know, asphyxiate him. I may, you know, triangle choke him. But I will get Joe to sign a contract that he's going to pay me 250 bucks. I will make him write it. Or he may not get out of there live. So, I mean, it's a great way to really increase your
3: revenue and sales.
2: As sure as the world turns, Joe's going to sign that contract.
3: Yeah. No, Joe's not going to sign that contract. <laughs> Joe, know, Joe knows better than to chase down any Craigslist ad. With an address in Gary's neighborhood. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going there. Okay, so
1: let's just say <laughs> Joe walks into to the local store that I work at. You know, let's say I work at Buffalo Wild Wings. And Joe's coming in to watch uh, watch the UFC fight because Buffalo Wild Wings a lot of times will show it. And Joe, my boss, has told me we have, uh, have extra Caribbean jerk seasoning. So we need to sell a lot of Caribbean jerk wings. And that's my goal. My boss said that's what we needed to get rid of. So and I, Joe comes over there, and he tries to order just mild wings. Do you think I'm going to take that, guys? No, I'm not.
2: You're, you're going to show him who's the boss.
1: Yeah, we're going to show him. A lot of times because Joe's seated, tell me I can't come up behind him easily and put a rear naked choke on. And you put it on hard at first, and right before he passes out, you let go. Let a little bit of blood in there, and then put a, put a pencil in his hand and make them sign for it you know the other benefit to that no, joe's gonna I be guarantee. the Dude,
3: gary, gary anytime you try and sell me a menu item that has jerk in the description <laughs> i'm not i'm not interested
1: <laughs> well i'm telling you joe it works it works <laughs> in just three easy steps and um it, it's done wonders for me and my business career okay
2: I feel like I've been dropped into the Twilight Zone with Gary's uh, sales techniques. He also is a wizard at dealing with unhappy customers. I remember, uh, you know, attending one of your business seminars and you were telling a story about how the customer was irate, that their food was so slow getting to them. And uh, you didn't put up with that either. No, don't
1: ever let the customer speak to you. Once (laughs) they try to speak, you just keep interrupting they will get so upset and think about it can you fight very well when you're upset what happens your adrenaline starts going you gas out quickly i will not let you get a word in and i'm going to get you so upset that you're going to swing at me and what happens when you swing at me i got two choices i can call the cops or i can stand my ground and uh, so i got my choice and uh, that person's going to end up looking like the bad person so never let them Get a word in. Try what to it, upset him as much as possible so they want to start swinging at you.
2: So you know, this, this book it's been it's been released a little while ago here, and a lot of people are saying that customers are mad about you uh, giving this advice to people.
1: Well, the only reason they're mad because many of them have gotten beat up. But you want to know what is it, what part of business that has helped? Jiu Jitsu um, schools. I thought you were gonna say Home
2: Depot, like the home improvement no, style business. A
1: lot of people now <laughs> I mean, first of all, you think about what my book talks about. Chapter one, we tell everybody in the customer service industry to to train jujitsu so that we can, you know, manhandle the customer. Then at the very end of the book, if the customer reads it, it tells the customer to also train jujitsu so that they can even the tables and get a better deal on stuff. So, so let's Gary, say,
3: yeah, Gary, go ahead, Joe. Yes. At its core, is this book a crime story is this like true detective or something
1: no no it's it's not at all it's uh kind of like what i like to consider a nursery rhyme
3: oh okay
4: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh but it is rated
2: r
4: Uh, gary some of the ideas the book
1: is or the movie's coming out next year you know so i mean we've got a lot of big stars that want to be in this movie so i mean it's it's kind of neat, all, all the people that want to be in this.
3: Oh, please tell me you're going to have Mr. T in this.
1: No, no, Mr. T, no.
3: I, oh, man, because, yeah. you know, from the A team, I love that guy. He, yeah, he would pay think the we're gonna...
2: fool that would disagree with the cut. with the. Uh... <laughs> yeah.
1: I think we're going to get Lou Ferrigno instead.
3: Okay, all right, yeah.
2: all right. Yep. I remember, Gary, when you were selling uh, TVs to people who didn't really need to buy a TV, and they came out with these new. Uh, color TVs and it was like in living color in your house your whole family gathered around there watching the show all in the family together it's you really pushed hard on that
4: And those were
1: definitely the wonder years Byron that's true (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know though I think there I just heard our little ticker go off I've been saved by the bell to get out of this episode so
2: what do you mean by that Gary?
1: I heard the uh, alarm go off that we spent too much time on this. Okay. Ding, ding, ding.
3: <laughs> how, how many TV titles did you hear in this episode, Gary? <laughs> 32. <laughs> that might be
1: close.
3: <laughs> it might be. Well, I didn't know where oh, you are going, and I was like,
1: well, Byron, that was
2: pretty impressive there. I threw in a couple in a row, and I think that kind of backfired. Yeah, I got greedy. I've been try- checking them off the list here. Uh, So just to bring you up to speed, Gary, we've been saying TV titles the whole episode. All but the well, interview. So have I. I've <laughs> caught a couple of yours. What have you worked in there, Gary?
1: I've worked in Happy Days. Yeah, I've I worked too. Wonder no, Years. Joking. I've worked in Saved by the Bell.
3: I've worked in <laughs> hey, App Gary, Group. Gary, I think you're taking credit for our work.
2: <laughs> no, that's what I've thrown in there. <laughs> that's nice. We've got. Yeah. We've got.
3: Here, tell me if you don't
2: recognize any of these from the episode. Growing Pains. I didn't recognize that one. Three
1: is Good. Company? I recognized that one. I said Jack Tripper. That's true. Yep. Uh, the Twilight yep, Zone? I didn't recognize that one. Threw that in there. Who's the boss? I recognize that one. Alyssa Milano, how can you not? <laughs> uh,
2: the Love Boat?
1: <laughs> I recognize
2: that one. That was when Joe was talking about his boat. Uh, yep. Married with Children, you got me on that one. Joe had Quantum Leap. I think you commented on that. Happy oh, Days. Oh
1: well, well, I did quant. On quantum leap, but I didn't get it. I didn't know you were going that way.
3: No, yeah, that was that was early in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yep.
1: Uh, different strokes
3: yep, was
2: yep. was very nicely inserted into an odd time. <laughs> you know what the crazy thing is? Is I just went along and threw my own out there. <laughs>
4: yes, you did. <laughs>
2: that's that's the cool part. I think we got the facts of life in there. All in the family, the odd couple. Did you hear those? Yeah. Good times. I don't know if I heard that one. Uh, Joe wants to use the workout bench to look like the Incredible Hulk. I said that one, didn't I? I think you might have repeated it, but I Oh, get Well, no, at you. you know what's
1: crazy is you said the Incredible Hulk, and somehow I threw in Lou Ferrigno later.
3: <laughs> Got into yeah. your subconscious.
1: Yeah, it probably did.
3: Man, I like how, uh, Byron, you stuck uh, the magic school bus in there. That one wasn't <laughs> easy. <laughs>
1: I don't know that movie you didn't re- you didn't
3: recall that it's, one. it's a tv show it's a tv show, a kids show. i don't know that one <laughs> uh days of our
2: life was snuck in there as the world turns you know you threw in days of our lives and i was like what's the freak is
1: he throwing in <laughs> soap operas for that's exactly what i thought i was like man that dude is weird walker texas ranger man i didn't get you know i remember you threw that one in there but i yeah full house that was- I knew you threw that. Say by
2: the bell, you nailed me. I, or Joe, who said say by the bell? That was me. Or Yo, you said it. I said it. Right? But yeah, put a star by that because I got busted on that one immediately. <laughs> yeah. um, mad about you, law and order. You got to keep law and order in that bank, Gary.
1: And how did you get all those in there? That's impressive. So when did you guys plan this? Because I was the first one on the call.
2: Oh, okay. We've been planning stuff for weeks. We got stuff but in you, the making, my man. Well, you remember how last week but Joe I was got on the king call? of the hill
1: for like 10 minutes before you guys even knew it. Yeah. Because I was oh, trying I, to I, figure out what you guys were going to mess with me about. <laughs> I just saw and I was like, hey, I wonder if I can just join this call. And I was like, I'm just going to be quiet because uh, they're probably going to plan something against me. That's
3: true. And we waited for a week.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know the show Spin City? No, I, think I, I don't. I think I said Spin This City or something like that.
3: Home yeah, improvement that uh, one thrown in.
2: Uh, in Living Color. Did you remember that one, Gary? Yep. You were talking about me selling the TVs. There you go. Starskin Hutch. Joe, got that one. That was early. Yep. Family Matters was smooth. I don't remember how you got it in there, Joe, but it was pretty smooth.
3: <laughs> Did I'm you get- catch that one, Gary?
2: Yeah, we were talk- it was uh,
1: about training. You know, the family needs to train together. Family Matters.
3: I think
2: is True Detective a TV show? I'm guessing it was. I don't know that one. Yes. So
1: you said yeah. something about True Detective, but I, you know, I didn't know where you were going. I didn't know the movie show.
2: And then the 18, yeah. we were talking about TV. <laughs> <laughs> Any other ones I missed, Joe? I, I didn't have. I have the list here of the ones that we originally thought of, but uh, Joe I, I outside the box I didn't really a bit. keep
3: track. I, I got a couple of websites open with uh, top TV shows, and I was just kind of perusing them while we were talking.
2: I printed it off. I was crossing them off as we went. You should have somehow got welcome back Cotter in there.
3: Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that one. I just couldn't fit it in. One day yeah. at a time. Did in fact, we're, we, we were talking about school. You know, approaching Jujitsu as school, like going back to school. Gary, you were talking about that, and I was trying to figure out a way to welcome back Cotter. Yeah,
1: throw in
2: Mash somehow, like uh, you
3: you Mash know, the, the guy in side
2: control, bottom of side control. Yeah, I think the heart. I think Saved by the Bell was pretty much a. Dead in the water as soon as, like, how do you say that without catching the like the uh, the show? I mean, I don't know that one. I knew that one was going to fail when I said it. Well,
1: shoot! I thought mine was good at the end when I used it to save me.
2: Yeah, but you, yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, good times, Gary. I like it. Yeah,
3: good times. There's another one. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I guess you could say we're moving on up. <laughs> to to the east side alright well stay sweaty my friends
2: and don't forget to
3: watch reruns yeah train hard train smart and get better guys we'll see you on the mats
0: thank you for listening I hope you find the time today to roll after all the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu